Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood of Richards. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. I sort of bought my little one in my car. Got a nice one. Have you seen that bone induction sound thing? Oh, I've heard about it. I've never nice. had one before. Nice. Yeah, I'll try and avoid touching your mics. That way then it doesn't... What are you doing? Trying to touch it with your tongue. I want to see if when I'm talking. Listen, Please these guys are like, these guys have been like, who are these guys, Robbie? You know that um, if I can get this done and we can do it right, we'll, we'll push this podcast out on Monday. Okay. Scary. Can you hear me, Rob? Yeah. Can you yeah, hear yourself in right. your ear? No, you can hear me? I can't hear myself. You really can't hear yourself? That might be because I'm dead. I can hear you clearly. What about, let me mess with this a little bit. Yeah, suddenly have, something happened there when you did that. You can hear that? Uh, it's coming on and off. I don't think I have to hear myself. You don't want to hear, but you can hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. John? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear you. Got you. It'll work. There we go. All right. Good. Well, let's just introduce you straight off the bat. That way people don't guess uh, who we're speaking to. We're sitting in an amazing location. Zambezi River behind us. Vic Falls, Zimbabwe. People are going like, where the fuck is Zimbabwe? Southern okay, Africa. Uh, most people may not know. Southern Africa just above South Africa, um, is the country of Zimbabwe. 
introduce yourself. I'll let you start. Since okay. you've been on a podcast before, and we're going to... Got some things for, for, for John Land, who's never been on a podcast before. I'm coaching. So I'm Rob Lurie, and I'm uh, born and raised in Zimbabwe. I'm currently the chairman of the ZPGA, which is Zimbabwe Professional Guides and, uh, and uh, Association. We, um, you nearly said and. Yeah. You're mm. used to the other thing. Um, yeah, we re- represent all the um, members that are professional guides and professional hunters and our learner um, professional hunters and guides as well. So that's who we represent in Zimbabwe. It's a huge part of the uh, industry. You Are you still going to be chairman after this AGM or no. will it rotate off? It will rotate on to John, who's my vice chairman. John will take over as chairman and uh, I'm going to remain on John's committee. Okay. We've tried to kind of grow, um, keep some continuity. This is something that happens with committees. Well, you see that's, that's probably that's our kind of uh, Achilles heel, isn't it, normally? Yeah. John Lang, introduce yourself. So good afternoon, uh, John Lang. Good afternoon. And uh, politeness. It is polite. You got to be polite in these things. Got to be polite. So I'm uh, current vice chairman of Zimbabwe Professional Guides Association. Uh, it's certainly been a a journey. I joined up on the association back in uh, nineteen. When was it? Nineteen ninety six. Wow. Joined up. So I've been on there for quite a long time. Rob was really there for about thirty years. Um. <laughs> He's aged quite well, but I think uh, certainly in the last four years, we've, we've aged together quite significantly. Um, and trying to grow the association has been a big part of what we've tried to do. Our efforts is to grow it and also to look at things from a slightly different perspective. As Rob mentioned, we, we look after both the hunting and the photographic guiding sector, um, and we're trying to bring those two sectors together. I dare say that this is the, probably the only association on the planet that does that. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that there is another professional outdoor type association that includes both non-consumptive guides, i.e. your photographic guys, river rafting, any sort of guide, and your hunting guides, professional hunters, together under one umbrella. Exactly. And certainly as we sit here on the Victoria Falls, when we look at the the Victoria Falls Bridge spanning two countries, I mean, it's it's quite an architectural feat to do that on very unstable soils. And I, I like that as a, as a platform to discuss what we're doing because you've got hunters and guides in two slightly different programs or massively different programs, depends on which way you look at it. But the bridge spans the gap and it stood the test of time. And that association of ours is doing exactly the same. We're bridging two different divides and uh, our association is bringing everyone together in one uh, common cause, which is conservation. Yeah. And that's been, a, that's been our motto for the last three years. And we certainly pushed and driven that. And I think we're seeing some really good benefits, uh, especially on membership numbers. Membership numbers have, have really risen uh, from about five, six years ago, where we had just probably just over 100 members to just shy of 500 members at the moment. And that's almost like, based on our conversation last night, it's, it's almost like topping out now. You're getting now close to like however many registered professional hunters you have in Zimbabwe, which is what? what, we th- what what's the number? We so the... the the numbers that we've got is uh, 600 registered hunters of all time. Many of those, not many, but certainly a handful have passed away. But I would hazard a guess that in the country at the moment, we've got no more than 200 operational hunters, meaning those are the people that actually hunt for a living day in and day out. Okay. So 200. Uh, the association has 156 of those hunters registered with us. So we've got 44 
that are not registered, active ones that are not registered. And I say that um, it's not an exact figure, but there we are. So about 80%. And then in terms of- And the, some of them you don't, even, you don't want in the association. Yes. I mean, there are some that um, don't want to be part of us and they don't follow our ethics and our standards. Mm -hmm. And so you know, the, the association is not, it's not for everyone. It's not a, it's, it, it's not a right. It's a privilege. And that's the way that we've always looked at it. So, and on the guide side, how many people you got? Guide, on the guide side, 197 side? registered guides in Zimbabwe in total. Zimbabwe total. And of those, I would hazard a guess that only a hundred are active. And we've got just over, just be just below 70. So I mean, 80. So we've got about 78 or 79 that are registered. So again, around 80 percent. So, but you don't have to be a registered guide. Because that number blew me away last time. I was like, man, you've only got 100 people, 120, 130 registered guides in Zimbabwe, but the Land Rover jockey is not classified as that registered guide. No. So the, the guys driving around, the driving guides are all in the country at the moment, as the law stands, learner professional hunters. So we've got around 5,000 registered learner professional well, hunters. They're not learned, learner professional guides? At the moment, no. So the history of the National Parks Act looked at learner professional hunters, which then would progress to a professional hunting qualification. The professional hunting qualification quite early on in the 1970s was then split into professional hunters and professional guides. But the learner component always remained the same. Mm. And that's a very, very key point because as a guide myself, as a professional guide, I've got to go out and I've got to make sure that I can defend and I can keep people safe on foot. In order to do that, I have to hunt. So I was a learner professional hunter before I chose to become a professional guide. Whereas Rob was a learner professional hunter before he chose to then become a professional hunter. So there's, the qualification is very similar, uh, especially these days. It is very, very similar, but there are certain differences. Now, I've, got to, I've got to know possibly a lot more about you know, talking about the flora and the fauna. Sure, whereas sure. Rob must make sure that he can keep people safe. Mm -hmm. If there's a wounded something coming in at there. Mm -hmm. And I think given that has, has progressed a lot in the probably the last uh, five to seven years where we've tried to make everything um, the same. So we have, in, in John and my time in, in office basically, we have bridged that gap as we spoke of earlier, whereby now um, in your process of becoming a professional, there's a, a shooting exam. And the shooting exam was different for a guide, a professional guide versus a professional hunter. And I, I'm quite heavily involved in the shooting side, and we've, we've canceled that. Everybody does the same shooting test. Mm. There was a little argument, for example, uh, the professional hunter had to do a 75-meter shot on his test, but a guide didn't. They said a guide doesn't have to shoot far. Right. Well, shouldn't, it really should, shouldn't ever have yeah. to shoot that far. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like, no, that situation could arise in a guiding situation. If you had a guest wander off that you didn't know about and suddenly they're 75 meters away and this elephant comes barreling down to squash that client, you've got to make that shot. Mm. So those are the kind of things we just, we've regularized it where everyone does the same thing and the same with the, the exam itself, whereby we used to focus more on the hunters on their hunting ability and practical sort of stuff and kind of ease off them on the, the more um, flora and fauna related scientific Latin names and all the rest, whereas the guides got hammered more on that and didn't really have to know too much about skinning and doing all the rest. We've now pretty much aligned it mm. where everybody gets tested the same because the interesting part is, is me with my license as being a professional hunter, I'm also a professional guide. But it's I, not the other way around? I get both. No, a professional guide cannot be a professional hunter. 
So people were choosing to become a professional hunter to, to have get both. the guide's license and kind of take the slightly easier route to being a guide. Okay. So I have the ability to guide, which is kind of unfair on a guy like John who's done his guide's license if he's, if he's uh, examined differently, but I can do his job. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, the industry will, will iron that out and you won't survive and you, you wouldn't be employed by a good company and all the rest. But the fact is we regularized it where everyone gets done tested the same way. And that's kind of unique now. We're finding that it works. There's, there's, there's hunters out there that, that they can learn all that stuff. It's absolutely, mm. and, it's, and it's cool. It's nice to know. Everyone will fit into their own niche in the market after that. Every one of us hunters has something that we kind of focus on when we're with our clients, something different. One guy will be more into trees, one guy more into birds, one guy more into insects, butterfly. It's just something that you focus on, and that's your choice. Once you go off in your career, it works. But at the beginning, we want everyone to be the same. Mm. So in the beginning, you, you, you caught yourself, you called, you introduced yourself as the chairman of Zimbabwe Professional Hunters and Guides Association. Yeah. Yet you're not, that, you're not named that anymore. No. So we... Uh, you're just now ago. the Zimbabwe Professional Guides Association. Correct. An interesting transition that we went through. It happened, started four years ago, completed three years ago, pretty yeah. much right about now. And um, so we were ZPHGA, the Zimbabwe Professional Hunters and Guides Association. We had professional hunters, we had professional guides. That was our association. And um, we started looking into it, and it was obviously... This was an internal decision by the hunting side of our membership, not pressure from non-hunters, from um, anti-consumptive tourism or anything. This is an internal thing where we looked at it. And I, I kind of asked the question myself once about, am I a professional hunter? What is a, what is a professional hunter? Mm. The pH is what everyone knows about mm -hmm. in America and Europe. I have this, my pH was this guy. My pH was that guy. What is a pH? Professional hunter. My grandfather, I believe, was a professional hunter. He was paid by uh, private individuals or the government to hunt game, to remove game from areas. That he was a professional hunter. Mm. My technical term, as what I do today, is is actually would be a professional hunting guide, because I'm not paid to kill animals or hunt animals myself. I'm paid to take a client to do it. Yeah, it's an interesting so distinction. Guiding someone to do it. I don't think anyone knows. I, no, it's it's actually quite an interesting debate because if someone goes, "Oh, these guys are just professional hunters," you're like, "Well, technically, no." Yeah, that's so a that's very, very the, interesting piece. The break that I came up with, and I'm like, "Okay, so we, it's not going to change. It's what what Africa is known as. It's what we, but, and that's not the point. We just wanted to rebrand our association to something that was more incorporating of the two. We, the word that we most uh, kind of connected to and want to be connected to is professional. Mm. That's a very important thing. Our guides in this country are not just guides. Like in a lot of African countries, a guy who takes you around in a vehicle and drives you through the park and that is a guide. Now, anybody who takes you somewhere, shows you something as a guide, but the difference here is a professional guide. Mm. So our guides are a step above, but we're all prof professional hunting guide, professional photographic guide. So how does that marry with, you know, we had a conversation maybe at SCI earlier this year where I was like, it, a lot of people will not know this, so I'll, I'll, we, we need to lay the context. From a professional hunting license perspective, Zim, Zim's licensing is like the top. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the piece of paper that everyone, the standard that everyone looks at, because I've heard numbers, and again, correct me, like 400 people enter, 30 people come out, or five people come out, kind of snoring. Yeah towards the end 
well, how does that marry? Because in my brain, I was like, I never knew that was, there was a blend between the guides and the professional hunters. Is the guides the same way? Like, is the standard that I'm assuming I, from a context perspective, know about Zim PHs yeah. the same as for Zim professional guides? Absolutely. I, I, would, exactly I would say uh, without question. And, and something that I think we have to emphasize is that it's been common sort of talk to say there's Zim pros, and, and it has been hunters talked about in our community and where we hang out is Zim professional hunters are the best. And I don't like that. Mm. I, I, I know. I, well, I didn't, I didn't no, not you say did, the best. You know, you did. And that's why I say I'll bring it up because I travel around Africa a lot, have done, I've hunted in a lot of African countries, and there's some incredible um, professional hunters all over Africa. Mm. I mean, just knock your socks off. And what we, we try to be humble about it and say we believe that the Zimbabwean professional hunter, when he becomes one, is the best trained Correct. at that time. After he qualifies, he then goes out there and becomes what he's going to become. Right. So we, we want to focus on being and having the best trained guides and hunters out there. That is the absolute key with us. And we believe that we do that. We've got a system. We've been looked at and asked questions over the years about, do you have a handbook? Do you have a study pack? What's your program? What's your catalog? How does it work? And there's nothing. We don't have that. We're kind of getting close to it now in a way. But the reality is ours is a a, um, a, a in-field based um, apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. It's apprenticeship based Correct. under someone. Correct. So, and you can only learn that by being out there mm -hmm. and doing it under someone. So your tutor is your most important person. But don't you have certain marks to hit, like certain number of elephant hunts, certain number of you know big game, big game hunts that you have to go on, right? Yeah, so there is, we, we're kind of regularizing that now. It never used to matter because it was kind of easy to do. Obviously, times are, uh, there's more Little people different in industry now, yeah, and, yeah. and that. So we are putting in some minimums. We've always been, in order to attend your, your exam, you had to have yourself personally hunted five dangerous game animals. Now we're adding in that you have to have accompanied X amount of elephant hunts, accompanied X amount of buffalo hunts, lion hunts, and leopard hunts. Basically, it works out to a three to four year apprenticeship to get that experience. Okay. So that is the reality of it. There's no set rule. Again, there's no book on it. What is the, what is the guide side of that three to four year apprenticeship look like? So guide side is very similar in that we get tested on, on big game, uh, dangerous game animals, uh, much the same as the hunter does. But then on top of that, because we are walking with guests behind us, and those guests, photographic guests, very, very rarely will they carry arms and ammunition themselves. We are in a position where we have to defend them. So we start off with, um, with three different minimums. The first minimum is 20 walks that have to be logged, where it's a learner and a professional going out towards dangerous game and getting them familiar with how they must approach the wind direction, the safety aspects. And the professional and the, and the learner themselves means there's no... Um, there's no issue with guests. The safety factor is is minimal. There's only two people that you've got to look after. Then from there, we do a walk whereby the professionals, number one in the line, the learner is number two, and the guests, full-paying guests are behind. The idea there that the pro can talk over the learner to his guests, and so doing that teaching or coaching the learner on how to deliver messages to his guests. The third a lot, which is 30 walks, have to be logged where the learner is number one, the pro is number two. So we, you can't have a situation where, as a learner, you're in Wangi National Park and your pro's living down in Gonrozo, right? And he's giving direction because 
you have to have the pro there to see yep. what's happening and to log those those walks. So there's 30 walks where the learner is in number one, the pro is number two, so he's reaching over the pro. And if the pro needs to, he says, whoa, hang on a second, you're doing this wrong, adjust what you're trying to achieve. And that way there you get a, a minimum of 70 walks that must be logged before you can attend your proficiency exam. What is that? What is that? Um, what does that look like in comparison to other associations? You know, John, maybe you know more about the the other stuff. I haven't really focused. I know on the hunting side, a lot of them. There's there's a lot of uh, countries where you buy your license. You just pay for the mm. license. There's countries that you write a test and do your license. There aren't many requirements. Some countries do have. I, I know, and I'm not speaking for particular ones, but I know Tanzania has a has a program where we have to do some testing and, and there's more, but I think it's probably the most comprehensive. It sounds uh, most comprehensive. Most 70 walks? Practical, yeah. yeah. So, you know, on the, on the if you look at in my apprenticeship, I did probably, um, I want to say, uh, over 100 buffalo hunts as a learner accompanying, and then the pro that I was with would grab me and say, right, you take over today. Yeah. And, and you get thrown into the lion's den. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh. That's, that's when you learn. Following is, it's like sitting in a car. It's easy to get lost. You don't pay attention. Drive, you know where you're going. And that's, that's where I think the advantage is. And that's where it comes back to your tutor. The guy can give you the reins and, and trust you. And a good tutor will do that in a good area. So, but yeah, 100 buffalo hunts, maybe 20, 30 elephant hunts, uh, 10, 15, 20 leopard hunts, 30 leopard hunts, five, seven lion hunts before I could. And, and remember, that doesn't qualify you to pass. Yeah, that qualifies you to sit. To go. And, 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 just quickly give you an idea of, of the program. You, you start off coming into the industry and, and writing your learner's exam, which is four exam papers. One is a law paper, basically about the law of the wildlife industry in, in Zimbabwe. The other one is a firearms paper, so learning about your firearms and the, the law required, which firearms can be used to hunt which animals, ballistics, etc. Third paper is a um, habits and habitats paper, which is now your, your animals and the flora and fauna. And your last paper is a general paper. And then a general paper is pretty cool. It, can, it, it kind of rounds you off if you ask what type of wine would you typically serve with. <laughs> Just basic things, yeah, yeah, yeah. practical questions that do matter. Um, but anyway, that's, those, you write those four papers. If you pass with 60% or more on each paper you, and you have to pass all four, you get your learner's license. You then start your apprenticeship in the field and any of your experience that you're going to log in your logbook only starts then. So if you grew up as a kid shooting buffalo from six years old, then that matters on, on paper. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to have the ability, which just comes later. So you do your couple of years, you build up your five dangerous game animals, your walks, you work with different guides, you're working with clients, understanding how all that works. And you get to a point now where I think I'm ready. So now we require your tutor to give you a, a um, letter of recommendation to come to an oral interview. So in between that, you do a shooting test. Once you've decided, yes, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready now. So you don't have to do it before. We want to make, we want to change it and make it before. But anyway, right now, in between that, you do your shooting test. What's the shooting test? Shooting test is is um, basically jungle course. Seventeen rounds fired in total by one okay. one candidate. You will do two shots at a seventy-five meter gong, okay. um, and you can do that in any number of positions that you could do in the bush. Leaning against a tree, that we do have a tree at our range. All our ranges that's at seventy-five meters. You can lean on the tree. You can lay down on your backpack if you're quick enough, shoot off your knees. Those are the options that we have. Scope allowed? Scope not allowed. No. Okay. You're allowed to use a, a optic, uh, like a red dot a red dot or something, as long as there's no magnification. Okay. And um, two shots of that, 10 points each, move on to the next 
We want to see that you know what your gun is doing, what your ammo is doing, and all the rest. Obviously, for the other stuff we spoke of earlier, for shooting something at long range. We also have a charging lion that comes from about 25 meters. You're allowed to engage it at 15 meters, and you've got to shoot it just once. Kill shot before it hits you. Two shots of that, 10 points each. Third one is a fire and movement. You run uh, 30 meters down, a, 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 down the range. You engage one target at 10 meters, run 5 to 10 meters to your right, engage another target at 10 meters, run 5 to 10 meters to your right, engage a third one. So you're firing and moving as the animal's moving through the brush or something like that. Then your, your next one is the um, this, uh, speed test. So the speed test is done standing in a, in a defined one-yard circle, and you've got uh, targets at uh, 20, 15, and 10 meters, three targets. You'll load three rounds into your gun if you have a bolt-action rifle, no more than that. And if you have a double, obviously, only got two. You engage the furthest target, 20 meters, then you engage the middle target, 15 meters, and you engage the front target. Reload and fire at the first target, the middle target, the back target. So it's an animal replicating the animal coming at you, yep. going away from you. Yep. Double, you've just got to do it. Well, you have a time constraint on that? No, no, it's, it no is time four times. Time. So the score, time. your score is time and accuracy. Gotcha. It's a factor of, of time and accuracy. Okay. Um, and then your final one is, um, that's gone blank, which is our last one. Oh, the, the uh, rundown, 40 meter rundown. So you run 40 meters. We're trying to get, it used to be called the puff and pant. Get you up. Uh, run your 40 meters, get to a mark, and now you've got targets at 20, uh, 15, 10, and 25 at the back left. Engage them at any order. The right thing to do would be to engage the first target, the closest one, while you're puffing and panting, and then the others. But we leave that one up. We want to see how the guys think. You know, mm -hmm. If you run up there and you run 40 meters and you aim at the 25-meter one, your accuracy is going to be less. Yeah, 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 Close. Sure. Hopefully your heart rate runs down in those shots. Four shots, done. All of this shooting test is done in full safari gear. As you would be guiding a client with a backpack on, your binoculars on your waist, your hat, everyone has to have hearing protection, um, boots, clothes, shoes, belt, gun belt, ammo, everything. Um, so that's kind of the shooting test and it requires, it's a very complicated scoring system, but 120 points or above, it's your win, a score, a, a pass. pass. We probably have about an average of a, 25% pass rate wow. on that. And that, that has multiple reasons. And has a minimum caliber that you have to use? Minimum of a 375. Yeah, you okay. do actually get penalized for using a 375. Okay. When I say penalized, you, you, there's certain targets on certain one of those courses where you'll get one point less for hitting the bull with a 375 than with a heavier caliber. So we try and encourage the heavier caliber. Mm -hmm. We're trying to stop dangerous game mm -hmm. charges. Not that a 375 couldn't do it. It's just we want to encourage the guys to have a bigger one. So that's your shooting test done. Um, in the middle of your apprenticeship, you've got that, you've got your first aid certification, you've got your learners, you pitch up now with your recommendation to your oral interview, whereas a panel of national parks and private sector uh, being us, uh, the joint examinations uh, committee would do the, the interview. And this is where we find out whether you are qualified to do it or not. And um, it can be anything from a five minute to a 45 minute interview. Okay. You can tell. You know what a guy. It all depends on how the guy's on. Yeah, what has he got? Are we on the edge of thinking this guy's ready, but he's not? And when and you open one door and you're like, oh, there's something there, yeah. you'll just keep opening doors to see what Correct. happens. Yeah. Some guys walk in, you're like, you're just not ready. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Some guys walk in, you're like, you're ready. Mm -hmm. Two minutes, and you're like, all right, but thanks. You get your, that's where you get your invite. We hand the invite to you. You're trying to get the invite to the practical exam. Okay. So that interview, 
which, which used to be done on the exam. We do it beforehand now to save the guys the pain and suffering and expense of coming to the exam and finding out. Because our exam now is a seven-day practical exam in the field somewhere in Zimbabwe. Okay. And you'll arrive uh, and set up a camp to house um, a client or two. So you're going to cook. You're, gonna, you're allowed to bring a cook with and, and a hand to help the camp, but everything else you do yourself. So you're hosting. So you would invite me mm. an examiner. Rob, would like you to come and stay in our camp. And then I'm going to check your hosting ability because that's all part of it. Like sure. Can you hunt a buffalo? You know? And the guide's doing this as well? Yep. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And it's, it's the conversation. We want to see, are you capable of, of, of community? That's a big part of safari, mm-hmm. sitting around the campfire. Telling stories, exactly. Knowledge, uh, hosting ability, pouring the wine, getting a drink, watching clients. Hey, see that star over there, that constellation. Yeah. Let me tell you a little mythology about the constellation yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. yeah, we just sit and we guess. And mm-hmm. now that exam, we don't. We ask a lot and we don't tell them anything. Mm. And um, so they host us and we go out every day hunting or exploring. But we have, have animals to hunt on that exam. We'll split the group up. Day one or two, we figure out who's who. And we're like, right, this guy needs, we want to see what he's like on elephant hunting. This guy on buffalo hunting. This guy's good. He's fine. We'll, well, we know he's good. So we examine, put into groups of anything from two to six, depending on how many guys we have on the, on the, on the exam. And we just grill for seven days. Uh, when they do shoot something, obviously all the skinning and the carting, the teamwork, we're watching all of this, you know. Uh, will somebody, will somebody uh, shoot a big five animal oh, yeah. on a seven-day practical? Yep. Yes. We will have a yeah. quota of elephant and buffalo, impala, and sometimes hyena and baboons. Everyone has a reason. Elephant, for the experience of understanding, sure, of course. capable of that. That's something you're going to encounter the most and probably your most dangerous thing to walk into in, in Zimbabwe with all, all the elephant that we have. Um, when it comes down to um, uh, baboons, that would be more uh, to see skinning ability. Mm. Um, impala, it's stalking ability. You know, buffalo, obviously the same thing. And then we'll do blinds, build blinds for cat hunting. Can the guy build blinds? It's, and the whole day, it, we're out there, the bird flies over. What bird is that? Oh, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Drive past a tree. What tree is that? Jeez. Got a Latin name for that. Oh, butterfly took off. What butterflies? I mean, it is everything. Grasses. Stop. We'll do walks. So sometimes yeah. hunting slows down. Get out and do a walk. Tell me about this grass. Tell me about this tree. Jeez. Why the, the Mopani re- leaves red. So you're the ones just constantly hammering. 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 Abs. And these guys, it's hard. And they should be good. By that stage, it shouldn't be tough. Yeah. They've done four years. and, and for sure. Other, should be easy. Um, and... So yeah, it's, it's just a full, full exam, push, push, push. At this stage, we just should be checking that they're okay. So what is the guide doing? I assume the guide is doing everything but the shooting. No, the guide also does shooting. Oh, the guide has exactly to do the, the shooting. Exactly the same. Yeah. So the guide's out with the hunters and we will make sure that, you know, as we're walking through the bush, we're explaining things. We're explaining what tweezers are, medicinal values. The hunters are there alongside. Sometimes they're learning, other times they're teaching us. The program is very, very similar to hunters and to guides. And at the end of the day, it depends on who you might be being examined. On your truck, you might have a professional hunter and professional guide examiner with national parks. And you'll have a mix of wannabe professional guides and professional hunters, the candidates. And as we're going through the bush, there might be a guiding candidate that is asked to, to shoot an elephant. And uh, the, the wannabe professional hunter will be the one who's leading the professional guide and as a client. So it's testing the whole spectrum of what we would always do, what we should be doing in the field. So let me, I think the, the, 
the crux of my questions, there's, there seems to be, and not in Zimbabwe, but when you took a step, if you take a step back, a lot of people who don't know think that there is animosity between guides, photographics guys, ecotourism guys, and hunters. You, I see it almost, I wouldn't say daily, almost weekly through social media. Photographics, you know, this is an elephant. Like I'll, I think I was talking to you, Mike, about the Gonorrhageau uh, cough. It was posted, I got tagged into it, a uh, post about a, a big male elephant that was raised from a baby. He's now a big male. Cool experience, you know, on the back of a landy. And that elephant uh, was a result of, they, had, they said, because of hunting. And I was like, no, actually, because of poaching. And then she said back to me, no, actually, because of culling. And then I was like, mm, I don't know why they would just leave a single calf after a cull. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. But I, I just want to leave it there. But that was a photographic person in Gonorrhageau here in Zim. And I'm like, but that person, again, I don't know what her qualifications are. I don't know who she is. What else? She probably is not even a learner. She's probably just someone who helps on the side, takes photos, is part of the system. But essentially, the system you guys have here is you've built a system, and the reason you pulled the H out of that, Z-P-H-G-A, is now Z-P-G-A, is that there is no animosity. There shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Mm. Shouldn't be. Because you, John Lang, are a guide. Primary purpose of what you do day in and day out is ecotourism-based industry. Rob Lurie, you are a professional hunter. Your primary day-to-day business is hunting. Yet you guys have done exactly the same thing. You've tested the same way. You've shot the same things. I think everybody that's listening to this right now is absolutely blown away that the fact that an ecotourism guide has to shoot an elephant. Correct. Correct. And that's brilliant because I don't want to throw South Africa under the bus. I did the whole Fagasa thing. I did Fagasa 1, Fagasa 2, Fagasa whatever. They're like, okay, what they test you on is like, why did you get yourself in that situation that maybe an elephant charges? Well, fuck, what happens if an elephant charges? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I've never done this. I don't know where to shoot an elephant. How am I supposed to shoot an elephant? Da, 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 da. Well, so you guys have been put in that situation purposely because one, Rob Lurie, you're hunting elephants. Yeah. But two, Ro- John Lang, if that situation ever happens, you are skilled enough, understand it enough to deal with it. To deal with it. Exactly. Yeah. No, correct. And that's correct. That, that big key. That's, uh, listen, you mentioned we're now all the same. We're all guides. I mean, we all guide to one to do one, one to do the other. We're still trying to bridge the gap. And the big word is. But why would there be a gap, Rob? So because that, you guys trained exactly yes. the same. It, does the gap happen so just afterwards? Industry. The narrative in the photographic industry and parts of it is affected afterwards. So depending on the company that owns the concession, the photographic concession and what their rules are, it's something that John has been a huge uh, uh, driving force on, on, on fighting, is getting hold of company A that says to their guides that you will not speak about hunting to the clients. Now, often we've got a photographic area that borders a hunting area and you go along the road and they'll say, what's happening on the other side? The guests will ask. 
And the guide will say, they hunt on the other side. And the clients will go, oh, that's terrible. And they go, yes, it's terrible. Don't discuss it. Mm -hmm. So that's where it ends. Whereas what were those guests going to be upset about it or were they not? So we're not telling the guides to promote hunting per se. That's, that's not their job, but don't put it down. Don't say, yes, that's terrible. We now, the communication, as a John has approached company A and said, guys, why do you not allow your guides to talk about hunting? And, and to be honest, having a hunting area on your northern boundary is, is what you want. Is that what you want or you want a communal area with Correct. people growing corn on the boundary where there's now going to be problem animal control done every summertime when the crops are growing and all these elephants are going to get shot, all the lions are going out to kill cattle, they're going to get shot. Which one do we want? Sustainable, professional, uh, ethical use of wildlife on your boundary or people mm. or a fence? Mm. That's the next thing, yeah. a fence. No, we don't want a fence. So how about we work together? And it works both ways. Listen, the hunters need to also communicate with of course. the side. So we can work and we have found huge success in the communication, breaking down the barriers and communicating. Now, obviously, as I believe ZPGA has done in, in, in the more recent times, is as our guys are coming through, we're hammering in there who we are. We're all one. Mm-hmm. We have, it's, it's about advertising. I mean, advertising mm-hmm. works. You advertise a certain soft drink, people buy it. You don't advertise, people don't know what it is. So we're advertising. We're telling our guys. As they're coming through the system, we tell them they're exposed to me and John, to the guide hunter. But here we sit next to each other. You know, as chairman and vice chairman, John take over as chairman. It, 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 we're one. They see that and that's what they look up to. It's like kids. Kids look up to their parents and follow in their footsteps and do a lot of that. Mm. So if we can start it then, it wasn't done so much before. Social media's opened up some doors where we can communicate. Sure, of course. So let's look at the positives of that and that's what it's done. So we've got to go back to the people who never went through that system and say, hey, this particular person you're talking about might have been one that has just been taught the narrative of anything bad must be hunting. And sometimes it's just ignorance. That elephant must have been orphaned because of hunting. I meant poaching. Yeah, exactly. Well, hunting and poaching, yeah. wow, you meant that. Well, you didn't say that and that just, yeah. you know, huge repercussions on us. So getting the wording right, understanding what we're doing. Um, and there's bad hunting. There's bad photographic guidance. So let's, let's just, that was exactly the next topic that I wanted to talk about. Um, so last night we talked about your standard instrument. I think it's called the standard instrument, the SI. What do you call the SI? Statutory. Statutory. Oh, I nearly got it right. Statutory instrument. Give us, give me, give everyone an idea what you, what you guys have done with that statutory instrument. So it started about six, seven years ago. We, we as an association uh, kind of decided that our numbers were growing. It was good, but we wanted a way to be able to discipline our members. So one of those ways we can discipline members is we can say, right, well, you remember today, but you've misbehaved, so we're going to kick you off tomorrow. And no one really, it, it was basically a bulldog with no teeth. And we thought to ourselves, is this what we want? Is, is there any, what's the repercussion? And so seven years ago, we employed uh, Mike Bromwich. And Mike's been instrumental in, um, in assisting us in putting together what was known as the Regulatory Council. Now it's the Wildlife Professional Council which there are 12 members that sit and on that they're council. all ZPGA members? No. We've got ZPGA members. We've got SOAS, which is a Safari Operators Association of Zimbabwe. We've got National Parks. We've got Campfire, this Communal Areas Management yep. Program. Uh, we've got an independent businessman and an independent lawyer. So they sit on that council. So that council has now come about and legalized through a statutory instrument 
underneath the National Parks Act, which is being reviewed at the moment. And that council has the ability to withdraw licenses should the offence uh, deem that necessary, so we can completely so it goes through a review. It, it would go through just a review. It will go through a very uh, rigorous ob- consultation, rigorous objective investigation, investigation and review by this council. Yes, and all of that review has to be backed up by written documentation. It can't be hearsay. So if someone's got evidence, evidence needs to be photographs, written reports, affidavits that come to the council's desk, and the council then from there able to determine what they think has gone on. They would then call the offender and say to them, what is your story? And have those interviews and make sure that we understand exactly what the story was. And uh, from there, we can then determine what we would like to do. And you did this because Humane Society was saying you guys need to self-police yourselves. Well, it was nothing to do with Humane Society. It was us. It was us in the Zimbabwe Professional Guys Association. We decided we needed something to be able to say to the world, this is what we do. Our ethics are everything that we wear on our back every single day. We want to uphold that, and we want to make sure that our members stand by ethical code. Uh, even if someone's not wearing a shirt and the logo on a day-to-day basis, we want to make sure that those people know that they're representing the association. And within our industry, we, you know, very small. We spoke about the numbers in the beginning, 600 registered professional hunters, 197 uh, registered professional guides. It's a very small society. And if we get things wrong, those fingers are pointed at us very, very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we represent the best of the best, the elite, those guys who are good, ethical. But if they do step out of line, we want measures to be able to say to them, this is how we want you to bring you back into line. So it's not about stripping licenses and, and, and cutting someone's livelihood out completely. We don't really want to do that. Yeah, but it's a way to deal with the bad apples. It's and bad, bad apples in, in our hunting industry know what that does and i think if you look at it from a from the other aspect of how it came about we not that we've never had members that have strayed from the straight to narrow that that happens it's, it's a fact of life but um often it's been guys who are not members of the association that flaunt the rules or the ethics or the morals and there's nothing we could do about it because they're not a member of ours it's not a, a requirement to be a member of zpga there's no law on that so some of our members would ask the question, why should I be a member if it means I can actually get in trouble by being a member? Yeah. And what trouble could you get into? Up till now, basically, we could just ban you from the association and off you go and go out into the wilderness and continue doing what you want. So guys would say, well, I don't need to be a member. I don't want to be policed by my mm. association. So this council, um, the relevance and probably something I could relate it to is like a health professions council. Health professions have a council. The, um, there's very the law, 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 laws. Yeah, council. like an ethics board. Absolutely. That governs the entire thing. So our association only takes care of our own members. And Oh, so this, this statutory instrument will reach over into so as any tourism guide operator, regardless, anything in the country has to be registered with the council in order to be licensed. Oh. Sure. So now everybody is is um can be governed and can be tried and and questioned under the council which is a fair council doesn't put national parks under the pressure that they were under this actually was a, a benefit to national parks who were kind of the only guys they would stuck somebody did something wrong and parks would have to deal with it you know they got to call them in they got to be the watchdog and the bad guy mm. 
And then it looked on, are they being fair or are they being friendly? You know, which one? There's always questions asked. So it puts them under a lot of pressure. Whereas this council now is a fair council that sits down, as you've heard of the split of that council, and deliberates on that person. So I think a, a, a fair result would come out. So everyone is, is police now. So it, it was not as a result. It was us saying, we, how do we catch the bad guys? And, and it'll include everyone. Um, and if our members step out of line, the same thing. So we want to encourage people to be members, obviously, by the industry has changed a lot in the last five years, whereby I think, uh, you know, good, good organizations in the U.S. have, have promoted us yeah. to a level where the American, European client base look at and go, hey, I want to come out and, and be on Safari with a CPGA member because I've heard all these. So the more we can grow that, the more then a guy will want to become a member. So that's what John and I have been growing is growing our brand. And then that's related to this too. So mm. these bad guys, a couple of them may clean up the axe and go, sure, I want to be a member of this thing. I, I need to you know, toe a certain line and I've got to carry myself. And like John says, it's always. Well, it's funny that, you know, immediately again, my brain went to, when, even when we were talking last night about the SI, I was like, oh, okay. That, that's, a, that's a great instrument to clean up the bad apples in the hunting industry. I didn't even consider the bad apples in the ecotourism industry too 100 percent. i i'm assuming because again we don't live that world given blood origins of what we do but what what does that look like john is it, is it more like i don't even want to surmise like assume what what bad bad intentions bad attitudes bad you know um actions look like in the ecotourism is it you know, changing behavior of animals because you're getting too close or cutting someone off and trying to put your clients in front of someone who's already there? I think all of the above. I think the, the extreme is getting yourself, getting your clients and yourself into a position where an animal comes at you at a full charge mm. so that you can take that exceptional photographic shot. Okay. So you've changed the behavior of the animal yep. in the hope that you're going to get the million-dollar picture. Mm. which then puts the animal's life at risk, but not only the animal, but also you and your guests mm -hmm. because you don't know how those guests are going to behave. Uh, they might run, they might get squashed, your bullet might not work. There's all sorts of dangers. So that is, that's an extreme. You know, and those things, unfortunately, from time to time have propped up. Um, they do that. Um, and there's small misdemeanors. Um, in this country, we don't drive off-road. Many other countries allow you to do that. Here, we don't. But... Our environment is quite a, a, a harsh, um, but a very fragile environment. And driving off-road is creating huge bush tracks going through the system, and it just looks unruly. Yeah, you've yeah, got yeah. Uh, uh, East African countries that allow it, but they've, they've got vastly different terrain. So their terrain recovers much quicker than ours does. Yeah. Ours is a lot more fragile. So they are little demeanors like that, but bigger ones uh, that can, they can um, the prejudice what we're trying to do. And it just doesn't look good for the industry as a whole. We don't want to be seen as cowboys. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, a huge thing is, is putting your client's life at risk is, is never a good program at all. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to avoid by all costs. Mm -hmm. So to, to wrap this up a little bit on the, so these shirts, I've already said, man, I need to get, a, need, I'd love to get one of these shirts. Uh, but one of the cool things about your shirts is the back. And on the back, it says, ethics is everything. Where did well, that start? ethics is everything is the correct pronunciation, but we've chosen to go against the good old English rules and ethics are everything. Oh, actually, you're lying. You're lying. Because I, I, I did see uh, John Hubbard's shirt. Paul, Paul. Paul Hubbard, sorry. Paul Hubbard's shirt. I keep mixing. 
Paul Hubbard actually says ethics are everything. Yes, are everything. Mm. So R is important because our ethical code that we've got, that we, we drew up in 2018, that ethical code has 27 codes, so therefore it is plural. Okay. Ethics are. Not, not just is not exactly. It's twenty seven of them. Lots of debates around the campfire about that. So it's a lot of them. And and then goes on from there to your question, the debate about what are ethics and whose ethics and how are ethics. It's it's a it's something we're ever gonna solve. No, but I think I think you have to have something. Yeah. And you know, an ethics in one an ethic an ethic in one area can be different to the same action in another area, whether it's good or bad ethic. So it has to be, has to be looked upon like that. And I mean, it's it's it is broad. And if you try and follow a, a code, you're going to be better, a better person out there. So that's it. It's ethics are not rules. Ethics are a, a self choice to be better. No, it's a self choice of the organization, the association to say, here's us being better. Correct. That's that's it. And that's that's what we want guys to, to kind of aspire to. And I tell you what, I'm branching a little bit and changing the, the, the topic today of CPGA, but APHA, uh, the African Professional Hunters Association, when I, when I got accepted as a member of APHA many years ago, it was a huge day for me. I was, it was a proud, proud day. And I got my code of conduct that I had to sign and, and suddenly I'm, I'm looking up to all these famous African PHs that are still members today, some of them founding members of that association. And 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 I suddenly felt an obligation to mm. to do better, to think before I acted. And I don't believe that I did bad things typically, but I started to think about the things I did and how they would be looked at and perceived. So that was where that ethical line starts being, okay, would this be, would that be, and you start changing and be, becoming better. I wanted to aspire to be better, to fit the the, the kind of ethic, ethical pinnacle of what APHA stood to me and now that's what we want ZPGA to be mm. we want our members when they come on board and they sign up and they sign their code of conduct and they get accepted through their membership application that they are proud they're like oh man I got accepted I made it and then each day that you go out there and, and represent Zimbabwe and our association and yourself you do it with that aspiration mm. to be looked upon as a, a highly qualified professional so I guess that's the the aspiration of where we've kind of wanted people to be. Definitely. Any last words, John? Um, well, thank you for the, for the time and for all the listeners out there for their time too. And I think we've got a lot that we need to learn. We've, you know, we, we understand that we've got, we've learned a lot, which is great. And I think we've done some great things, but we've got a long way to go. We understand that. Um, and we will, we will be bigger, better, stronger mm -hmm. from the South African rugby team. Uh, together, we will do that. Um, but that's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're in a good place and I think we, we will get bigger and better and stronger yeah. and we, we will take our association to, to newer heights, to bigger heights. And, you know, we'll play with the big guys and we'll make sure that well, who are the, the big uh, guys. Well, how can you not consider yourself the big guys? You know, the African have... hunting association is one of the biggest, uh, UFA. And, uh, and we've got, we've got others that are out there that we, we want, we want people to come to us and say, what do you guys think? And if we can have that then I think we, we're on a really good trajectory. So the big guys, and also, you know, from the States, we, we've got our, our um, other associations over in the States that are, are worldly, and mm. we want to make sure that, that we, can, we can dance with them. And, sure. uh, they, you know, they come to us and say, well, what do you guys think from an African standpoint? So I think those are the big guys. 
And uh, you know, if we can be partnership with them and make sure that they respect us for the right reasons, 100%. then brilliant. Well, you guys are definitely on the right track. And, you know, all my questions, like we, I was, you know, just pinging you last night and trying to just sort of tease out this thread of like, you know, how did, how did the guys and the professional hunters play together? And, you know, I think this is, you know, I, I've learned a lot. And I'm sure everyone that's listening has learned a lot about just, yeah, and, and to your point, once you come out of that sort of the end of the spigot, which is you're creating the spigot, you know, you've got other influences out there that unfortunately cause you to part ways a little bit. Um, but you guys are working on, you know, how do you corral everyone back in into the same place? Because we all want the same thing at the end of the day. And ecotourism and hunting, you know, work very, very, very well together. You know, they're, they're a beautiful harmony. They work in different places. They do different things. But at the end of the day, they're all about wildlife for our kids and our grandkids one day. We're all here for the same thing. And I think that's the key. If we can get people to communicate and realize that we're here for the same thing. And John made a, a, a comment just now, which I actually, a couple of years ago at the AGM, I came up with a, using the Springbok uh, motto, but ours is stronger, together, longer. So we are stronger together, being the guides and hunters put together. And we will continue doing both what we do longer if we do so. Mm. And that's the key. And it is 100% apparent in this country that the two rely on each other. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a communication and, and working together. It's, it's going to happen and it works. We've, we, we are proving it and people are coming to us. We're yeah. already getting it. I mean, we, I think we, we, we don't realize that, you know, we kind of, yeah. these little guys, we think we're the little guys, but yeah, honestly, what you said, you know, aren't you there? And I do believe we are. Just today, I got a call from one of our neighboring associations asking for help. And we're going to help, you know, get them up and running again, you know. So yeah. it's uh, definitely, we want to. Horses awesome. together, we're stronger. So every one of us, mm-hmm. it's not a Zim thing that we want to be better. If we can make everybody this good, imagine our Africa benefits. 100%. Yeah. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Robbie. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.